Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Hello, Tender Wild listeners. On today's episode, we are thrilled to have a guest, Shannon Algio. Shannon has been named one of the 35 under 35 in Wellness to Watch by Wanderlust. Shannon is a celebrated speaker, writer, life coach, yoga nidra, and meditation teacher. His popular podcast, Soul Feed, features interviews with iconic cultural and spiritual leaders like Deepak Chopra, Caroline Miss, Marianne Williamson, and Danielle Laporte and many more. In his coaching practice, Algio works with clients to heal old patterns of trauma so they can show up in the world with power, presence, and purpose. We love that Shannon was rated one of the nicest instructors in New York (laughs) City by Rate Your Burn for his work as a yoga and meditation teacher, and he leads meditation programs for companies like Global Nonprofit, founded by Bono, and the Museum of Contemporary Art. In addition to giving presentations for Lululemon and the Wanderlust Festival, Algio was featured guest speaker at the United Nations Yoga and the UN Culture of Peace event. That's so cool. So cool. And, and we, we are so excited. You are the second man. The we've second had man we've had on our, our podcast. Okay. I was listening to an episode last night and you referred to the first man. And I was like, <laughs> I wonder if I'm going to be the second. And I you feel super duper honored Mm -hmm. to be here on Tend Her Wild. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome, Shannon. Yes. And we were drawn to you for so many reasons. We feel like so much of what you're talking about and working with are exactly the topics we've been exploring. And we'd love to have um, your perspective on, you know, this, this whole podcast is about helping women per se, but I think helping humankind get out of the box, right? We've all been conditioned Mm. into these boxes that limit us and constrict us essentially. And so how do you begin to break out and become your own authentic person? And you're doing that work and you're guiding so many people in the world doing that work. And so we're so honored to have you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, thank you both. So exciting that you're doing this podcast and having these conversations so necessary and important. And uh, like you said, Betsy, in our opening meditation that we got to do together briefly before this, like, you know, may everyone hear what they need to hear in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So Shannon, we start every podcast with the same question. And when we started our podcast, we didn't, this wasn't anything we necessarily talked about it just happened and now it's sort of a bedrock of what we lead with and we see how it always guides the conversation and this first question mm. always informs everything we talk about and in some ways it, it this first question about tell us about your first 10 years um, informs our whole life and so we would love for you to tell us your story about growing up and what your first 10 years of Um, existence in this body on this planet were all about? Yeah. What a great question. Wow. 
How many sessions do we get to meet here for? <laughs> as many as you like. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, you know, as you were just saying that, I had this image and this memory of, I must have been like four, four years old. Um, I grew up with my dad playing the guitar. He had a 12 string guilds guitar. So just this like beautiful instrument. And my dad also has a beautiful singing voice. And I remember we were up at the, um, in the Poconos, which is this area in, um, Pennsylvania, um, that's like forests and cabins and trees. And it's really beautiful. And I remember I couldn't fall asleep one night and my dad came up with his guitar and he was singing the song. I think it was a song by John Denver. Mm. If I like go, if I think hard enough, I'll be able to remember the song. Um, yep. I just remembered it. Um, and it's uh the it's not by John Denver but it's uh it's the cares of tomorrow must wait till this day is done wow. is the is the main line of the song and i remember him just like singing this song to me and i couldn't sleep and i think it might have been raining outside and i was in this unfamiliar environment and and i just remember being like oh my gosh my dad is amazing like he's so oh. magical he just i thought he wrote the song i was oh. like this music like my dad's like a rock star and wow. i just yeah so i my dad's music um he he sang at all of our christenings i grew up catholic um and he sings at funerals and weddings and family events. And I have a big Irish Catholic family. So the, the, the singing is a huge part of my life. And it, and it led to me and my sister and my brother all becoming singers and performers in our own way. Um, so that, that really sticks with me. And also being in Catholic school and being named Shannon, which was quote unquote, a girl's name. And I'm doing big quotes here um, because I was always, or I shouldn't say always, but I was often and consistently bullied for being effeminate, for having a girl's name. I naturally like, like me being on the tend her wild podcast is so in alignment with just who I have always been (laughs) because I always wanted to hang out with my girlfriends, (laughs) um, which at a Catholic school where the girls are in their plaid jumpers and the boys are in their Navy blue slacks with their polo shirts or their, you know, eventually we had to wear ties. It's like, you know, it's a, um, a big brave leap to go hang with your girlfriends when there's a clear um, set of social instructions that we're meant to follow based on our gender. Um, So it actually means a lot to little Shannon that I'm invited to this space um, because while I'm not a woman, I, I have always felt very safe in the presence of women and a lot of camaraderie and just a natural sense of, of, um, kinship. So yeah, those two experiences stand out, um, as, as big ones. And I'm sure I could explore more, but I'll, I'll let you guys, uh, dig for more or, or (laughs) steer the conversation elsewhere based on, based on, yeah, where we want to go from here. When you think back to those times um, and how you did you find yourself then as you know, in high school or as you I know you did some theater, like were you able to kind of express yourself um, when you were younger or did you have to wait until you could? Yeah. When did you get out of the box? I mean, it sounds like you were doing it early, but yeah. Yeah, I that's like such a great 
question and it makes me think about this angel who was a part of my life um she was our music teacher and she literally was was an angel of music um her name was seal short for cecilia which is the the patron saint of music and she was our music teacher but she was also the music liturgist for the whole parish so she was the one creating music for every mass on Saturdays and Sundays and the Christmas lineup and funerals. And she was running around like doing everything. And she used to pluck me out of class when I was like in third or fourth grade and have me and my friend Kate uh, practice singing. So we would sing at like the school masses, like the school church um, events. And And I remember being so nervous, you know, singing in front of hundreds of people into a microphone. And I was so scared. Like Mm. my voice was, it was almost like someone was squeezing my throat, like my larynx, like couldn't quite sing out. Um, And yet I sang and, you know, that was probably third grade, fourth grade. And that led all the way up to when I was 11, my mom took me and my sister to see a musical theater performance that, you know, young kids and high schoolers were putting on. It was sort of like a, like a gala musical review, um, three hours long, lots of talented people. And my mom remembers seeing like a sparkle in my eyes. I love this part in your book when you write about this. This is one of my favorite parts of your book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she, yeah, she, she remembers the sparkle in my eye. And, and I guess I said, like, I want to do that. I don't remember saying that, but she, she says that I was very clear and she found in the paper and the the newspaper <laughs> mm. way back when we had newspapers. Well, actually we still have newspapers. I saw one in a coffee shop today, um, <laughs> but she found this musical theater summer camp and she signed me up like no questions asked. I mean, I think she was like, do you want to do this? But I think it was more like, I'm, I'm going to sign you up for this thing. And that changed my life. Yeah. Um, that summer, I not only did that musical theater summer camp, I performed in my first musical. Um, I That next fall, I was enrolled in jazz class and tap dance classes and voice lessons. And, and it was off to the races from 11 through 22. I was nonstop performing. Um, I went to school for musical theater. I did a, um, a play off Broadway, or I guess it was off, off Broadway <laughs> when I was in, in, um, in college. Uh, but it was this play in New York, which was a really big deal. And yeah. And that was just this opportunity to learn, to express myself, yeah. to, to be put in environments where my body had to get comfortable being in front of hundreds of people in all types of different environments, learning to be on my feet, learning to improv improvise and learning to just throw myself into, you know, it's with performing. It's like a ready or not. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. Kind of energy. And it's a great skill. I'm grateful for that skill. Yeah, I was I was so inspired by that story for many reasons. I have theater kids. And so when oh. I heard because it's the same thing, my son Jack, when he was kind of held back and nervous and scared and as soon as he got on the stage and this little spark came out and this voice came out, I was like, "What just happened?" And so to mm. hear that was your story oh. too 
was so inspiring. And I think it it's really also what we're doing so much in this podcast is that so many people that have been in marginalized groups, whether it's women or BIPOC or LGBTQ groups, we have felt like we don't have a voice or that we can't really speak the full truth. We can speak maybe partial truth or we can let part of ourselves be seen. But mm-hmm. this idea of you being at a sung, such a young age, 11, on stage, letting people see you and hear you is, I think, such a powerful step. And it makes me wonder how it has informed what you're doing now, because you're reaching so many people now with your your Instagram and your podcast and your book and the work you do. You're really on a public stage. Um, mm. And it seems to me that that early, I mean, did that early yeah. experience really mm open all these doors for you, do you think? Yeah, I feel like it was a somatic awakening. Ooh, somatic awakening. Love that. Yeah. Yeah, like it was this. mm Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to move my body. Like there was this one dance step that we had to learn that first summer of this summer camp, and it was a box step. You put one foot in front and then you cross the the other foot over and then you step back and you step back. It sounds pretty easy. It probably sounds like what the heck is this guy talking about? Because you can't see it, but it's a box step and it, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I didn't, I just didn't have the coordination. I had never been in dance classes before. And so to learn a sense of conscious choice over how to move my body I had done some sports, which a lot of them I didn't love. I did love swimming. So I did have a connection to loving to move in the water, which there's a lot of similarities between moving water and dance because it's like you can feel the energy when you're moving. I've never Um, heard that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And being in water, you can really feel kind of how you're able to move energy and, and move the water and have the body have a somatic experience of influencing space. So a lot of dancing is, you know, feeling the air, feeling the room, feeling a sense of mastery and control over how I move my body. And so I think to have that somatic awakening, to have that experience of, of learning how to move my body in beautiful ways. And then also um, thinking about, um, I'm forgetting his last name, but um, Krista Tippett just interviewed him on being, his name is uh, on, on being, his name is Dacker something. Mm. Um, And he talks about in his research, uh, this collective effervescence. And so to be tap dancing, I'm thinking in college of tap dancing with seven other men in in our um, like long um, tuxedos with our, the tails, the long tails of the coat and our top hats. And every tap step is in perfect unison. Um, or to be moving and singing with a group of people, there's a collective effervescence. There's a shared community resonance that happens. What is it like to move in harmony and to, to express not only alone, but with a group of people, um, is profoundly, it's what we all yeah, want to be back and connected healing. with yeah. people, right? And be moving and breathing and uh, creating together. Yeah. And you've mm. really stepped into that role in your own, the community you've built and the community that you continue to impact. And so from the stage to kind of this next part of your life and your writing and, and your healing work, your coaching, it's creating a community uh, where you help people find their freedom 
and their voice. Mm. So, so tap dancing together now. Yes. It's so, some bigger yeah. stage, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to answer that that part of your question, like it has absolutely informed. Um, I can I can be in front of a lot of people and regulate my body because and and feel comfortable is what I mean when I say regulate my body, like feel like I'm okay. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not nervous. It doesn't mean I'm not excited. It doesn't mean I might not have some perspiration in my armpits or my heart might be heart rate might be elevated, but, um, I used to have extreme levels of anxiety, like skin crawling, like panicky, uh, heat, like shame. Like there was this deep Irish Catholic shame of, of this expectation that I should be small and that being in musical theater for over a decade, like helped get on the other side of that. It's that practice over and over of stepping out of that box or being, being more in front of an audience. Yeah. Um, How did you, I'm curious, you. you went from musical theater and then you went into sort of yoga and more of a spiritual path. When did that all talk us, talk us through that transition? Yeah, well, that's another interesting connection between what happened in the first 10 years of my life, because that connected to yoga and spirituality was the places and spaces of prayer in the Catholic education, whether that was in church or whether that was in class, there were these prompts where we were intended to get silent and pray. So it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to get silent right now and talk to God. I'm going to commune and communicate with this higher power that was built into my development as something that was required. But for me, it was always kind of nice. I was like, mm-hmm. cause I'm, I'm a, an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs. So I. <laughs> <laughs> I love exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. And I, I'm so sensitive. So I'm like, you're going to make everyone shut the F up right now. <laughs> So I can actually hear the voice of what's happening for me me. and connect to my higher power. Thank God, literally, thank God. Um, (laughs) So when it came to um, in in college, I really lost that sense of spirituality in in a practical practice sense. Of course, it was on the stage with me. It was with me in every moment. Like we're human beings, we're spiritual beings. Yeah. But when I moved to New York City and I landed on the yoga mat and it was not all about the performance because some of the aspects of being in musical theater actually swung into shadow realms of toxicity and, and not enough. And, you know, do I have the perfect point? And am I a triple threat where I'm this like fierce, like actor, singer, dancer? And like, and it became a lot about perfectionism and performance and being, you know, external uh, and and getting validation externally from the teacher, from the casting agent, from the choreographer, from the director, from the audience, from the other cast members, from the audience. Yeah. yeah. And so when I landed on the yoga mat, uh, and the, you know, there's sixty to eighty people packed into this Lower East Side yoga studio um, in New York, and the teacher, the teacher didn't give a bleep about me. 
um, because there were so many people in the room. And so I could just close my eyes and move and breathe. And I felt whatever that higher power, whatever you call that God, goddess, the universe, higher intelligence, higher power, inner strength, inner knowing, intuition, whatever you call that, I felt that come online. And it was like this merging moment because it was like all of my spirituality from my childhood and prayer became unified with my capacity to move my body and, and to breathe and feel and express through movement. And it was done in an environment where, yeah, there were a lot of people around, but it was like that New York vibe where there's people everywhere and no one's looking at you. Uh, (laughs) And so there's a certain kind of freedom in that. As a um, fellow Irish Democrat Catholic, um, I'm assuming. um, (laughs) He seems Democratic. (laughs) I did. I did. I add that in now. I'm just proud of it. But um, You, you you can assume away. Okay. But yeah, growing up Catholic, I, I'm so it's so interesting to me how you took that early experience because I had a similar experience and you almost transformed it. You built upon it. You, you could return to it, but you made it your own. You made that young experience of prayer work for you later in life in a spiritual Mm. way. Um, So it's, it's like you, it's like taking your upbringing and reshaping it to work for you instead of mm. just following along blindly and, and letting it ruin you and letting it ruin you, like you. or running from it. It's, yeah. it's like you, you were able to transform it. And I think that is, I hadn't thought about the power of, uh, and the need to do that as adults, but that's probably something I've been trying to do for some time because it's part of who I am, but I, I can create that experience that fits me now and, and own that in a way that um, I'm inspired by how you've done that. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's bringing up this memory of uh, my seventh grade teacher and re- religion class where she asserted, she taught us that dogs don't go to heaven. Mm. And our whole, like, we had this whole discussion, like people were like, you know, challenging her. In seventh grade, you know, they were like, my, you know, how do you know that? Or are you sure dogs don't go to heaven? Or like, where does it say that in the Bible? And it was this whole discussion. And I remember, I remember my takeaway was like, uh, my dog goes to heaven. (laughs) I don't know where your dogs are going. (laughs) I are. Absolutely. Yeah. So taking those messages and knowing how to filter them and, and what's feels true to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and what's also present to me is that, that something in that environment, I don't know if it was because it was the nineties or because this was Maryland. So it was like a social conservative community in a, you know, a more liberal area. Like, I, I don't know, maybe a combination of all of these things, but, but something we, we had permission in that class to challenge because that was what was happening, even though, you know, she came down with the last word and let us know, like, sorry, y'all, like your dogs aren't going to heaven. Like there was a discussion in that class where we, we were pressing up against that. And so it just has me curious about when we think about just uh, forcing ourselves to take on doctrine, whether that's political doctrine or religious doctrine or gender doctrine or whatever Mm -hmm. kind of doctrine, (laughs) um, 
where is, I mean, that's the role of the rebel, right? We, and we all have an internalized rebel that needs to question that needs Absolutely. to say, well, why? The wild, and, wild and the wildness, wild, the wild, wild men yeah. and the wildness the wild. in general. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. One of my favorite teachings from the yoga tradition is where it's, I can't tell you the exact text, but it's what is one of the impediments on the path of yoga and it's following the rules. Mm. And that one has always stuck with me, <laughs> right? It's like we have to have rules for a certain part of our life, and then they start to box us in and constrict us and stop us from being in our full essence. And so there is that time where we do have to question and push and poke holes in all the stories. And you clearly have been doing that since seventh grade, saying, no, my dog is going to heaven. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't care what you, what you say, teacher. Yeah. Totally. yeah. My parents would probably tell you I was doing that before seventh grade. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes back to your book in trusting your truth, right? And so I see you as someone that learned young to, to trust your truth, or maybe that's been a process for you, but now you teach others to trust their truth. So it seems so foundational for you um, in your life. I think I have my mom to thank for that. Hmm. I think I have my mom to thank for that. She, she is a radically honest woman. And she, I mean, it's like growing up, it was like cringe worthy at times, <laughs> like, <laughs> like sometimes like no filter, no boundaries. Yeah. Um, my mom and, and she's very open about this publicly. And I share about this in the book. She was a, a survivor of, um, of sexual abuse, um, in incest in her family. And she suffered greatly from not only the abuse, but the lack of acknowledgement that it was happening from her family, um, the lack of support in processing it, and also being the daughter of a Navy, um, of a vice admiral in the Navy, that was my grandfather, Shannon, um, who I named after, uh, they were moving every two years. So the family wasn't a secure base for her, but also the community was not a secure base. Um, and so as a result, my mom had this fire to be a better parent than she, than she got, she was like, so fixated on giving us a better experience and my God, she did. And she carried this unprocessed trauma with her. And, um, so, you know, one of the things I've had to work on in my relationship with, with my mom, but also with myself, like my development, um, in relationship with my mom is like the, the lack of boundaries, the, um, the needs of her inner child. She had three children, but her inner child had so much trauma that had yet to be processed and, and really got worked on in my childhood. And that had an impact on me. Um, and the beautiful, one of the beautiful aspects of it, because everything has shadow and light, obviously is my mom was constantly, I mean, she had no appetite for bullshit ever with anyone. And so she was always speaking truth to power. She was always making things uncomfortable for people 
in the name of being honest. She was almost like obsessed with being honest because she had held held lies. Mm. She had yeah. upheld lies for so long. Yeah. Well, but, and yeah. you you talk about intergenerational stuff in your book as well, and I'm I'm so glad you're sharing this because one of the themes we seem to talk about in every <laughs> podcast we do is the importance of your own inner work. Mm-hmm. That is, we do our own inner work, our own inner clearing. We are literally healing like seven generations back and seven generations forward. And so I love that you brought this up because I'm also curious, you clearly have done so much inner work on yourself already and you're quite young yet. I mean, how, do you also feel like your healing work has healed backwards, like healed your parents and your grandparents and that lineage that you're coming from? And then how do you see your healing carrying forward as well? Yeah, yes, yes. I I have, I almost feel like I got, I got confirmation that it's healing back when Trust Your Truth was about to come out. And one of the things that I've worked with in my inner work is, is, uh, rage, Mm talk about wild. It's like, ah, like it's like a fire. And I've, I've seen the fire get too big where it's like, Oh shit, this is going to burn down the village. Um, and I've also seen the harm of, of, of trying to push that fire down and not letting the heat move, move up and out through the body. And Um, one of the things that I experienced in, in part of my healing was owning my rage, but also understanding that it's not mine. And I think of moments where my dad, I disowned anger because I saw it in my dad and it felt unsafe. Scary. Yeah. It's like this Irish Catholic temper, this. I mean, really, we know it's like some unmet need, right? Right. And in a society where he was holding a lot as a man and trying to keep it together and, you know, make ends meet, he had a lot on his plate. So also the system is pushing him to an edge and he's then getting angry at his child. But I looked at that anger and I said, I said, no, like, I will not do that. I never want to do that. And so I, I disowned it. I made it bad. I made it wrong. I, I reacted out of a coping mechanism, but in disowning it, I lodged it into my shadow yeah. and I guaranteed its mm-hmm. return. It's bigger and stronger, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So how did it and return? Yeah. How did you see it? I um, was pushed to my own edges in a relationship that I talk about in Trust Your Truth, where I was lied to and cheated on for many months. And I, in that relationship, I saw myself go to places of rage that scared me. It wasn't physical, but it was emotionally unhealthy. It was toxic. It was scary. It was not helpful and it wasn't healing anything. And I also had some instances, instances in some other relationships where I saw that come out and I had to look at it. And, and, and there were a couple of times when I adopted this, I I fostered and briefly adopted this young puppy, um, Ginger, who I talk about in the book and being her father, the father of this young, innocent puppy, 
I saw myself get so angry with her over like puppy things. She was like peeing on the floor. She peed on my new couch. She like, you know, but I, I saw my switch go off and I got so mad and with my ex, it was eager to, it was uh, easier to justify the anger because I had been so wronged. But with this innocent puppy, I was like, Shannon, like this is yours and you need to deal with this. And in, so first I owned it. And then I looked back and I looked at my relationship to, to why it was so scary for me to express anger, how I could express it in a healthy way, why I had internalized that it was not okay for me to express it at all because of my, my relationship is uh, seeing it in my dad. And I, th I thought of my grandfather and my grandfather was born in Ireland. He never graduated sixth grade or sixth grade was his highest level of education. He was essentially a refugee of poverty that came to the United States in the early 1900s. And he had six kids and he had a, a bad temper and he was abusive. Everyone, all of my dad's five older siblings got the belt. My dad never got the belt. And so I, I expanded my understanding of this rage and I saw it as this intergenerational uh, toxic masculinity, this intergenerational fear, this intergenerational trauma that, that was now mine yeah. to hold, to wield, to heal. And I'm kind of going on a little bit long about this, so this powerful. question, but I, I had my, when my book was about to come out, um, my grandfather came to me in a dream and I am not usually the type to say someone came to me in a dream just because I haven't had a lot of those. I haven't had any other experiences like this. Um, but it, it didn't feel like I was dreaming about my grandfather. It felt like he yeah. was, he was literally was visiting you. Yeah. To, yes. Yeah. And he, and I saw him in a hospital room and he was in some sort of delusion and all of a sudden his eyes got really clear. Like he got present and he shot up out of the bed and he started pacing through the room. And eventually he sat down in a chair and he looked at me with the sweetest Irish eyes and the, and just this bright, clean clarity. And he said, I was so awful. I'm so sorry. Wow. And I felt this freedom in me when I woke up that morning, I remembered this dream vividly and I felt this freedom of what I'm owning in this book and, and not just in the book, what I'm owning in myself about changing this pattern of, of toxic rage, of rage that doesn't know how to not harm of rage that doesn't know how to not exercise an inappropriate amount of power over another person or being I'm, I'm working on that. And, and that was my experience of it freeing him freeing backwards yep freeing backwards mm -hmm. oh that's beautiful and i felt it in my relationship with my dad too so sorry yeah no <laughs> it's a beautiful it's beautiful to to have that i think experience. people need to hear it because we don't we can't like i love yeah. that example because we can't intellectually understand how our healing in the here and now can help so our dead grandfather 
but it it can, right? Like energetically, we literally are changing some kind of dynamic and it's powerful. My, my grandfather, I am my grandfather. Yeah. These okay. cells, yeah. like on a cellular level, this is it. This is the continuation of his existence is, is in my cellular DNA. It's in my makeup. Um, and obviously there's other things contributing to that too, both genetic and, and nurturing factors of, of what's going on in the world and how I've been cared for and the things that have happened to me. But yeah, I mean, I, I think about that sometimes, like we are living ancestors. It's not that they are back there, like they're here. Right. They're with you. Well, and sharing his name and the idea that you are carrying forward and making this transformation for yourself. Um, I, I feel this connection just even in the, you know, with your father who's present, but, but, you know, physically present, but then your grandfather who you feel around you and is, and kind of this release that you got before releasing this book. It's like, yeah. um, energetically he was like, blessing the book. He on really some level. was. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Did it feel That's that a- way? Yeah. Yeah, I'll share one more thing with you real quick, because this is so weird. This is like so like... We love that kind of stuff, so share away, Shannon. So because my grandfather was... He he was born Daniel Algio. Um, Actually, he was born Daniel Aljo, and the name got switched when he came to the U.S. Yeah, this happened to so many. Yeah, and Ellis Island, the paperwork got written incorrectly. And what are you, so you went from so what to all, what? All word, A-L-W-A-R-D was uh-huh. our Irish name. So all of the marriage certificates in Ireland have that. And then when they came, it turned into Elwood, E-L-W-O-O-T. So interesting. Yeah. It's like, what were people doing? Like, was it intentional or was people just always, scribbling things? Like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that's an amazing connection. Or was it the accent they were I've translating? Often, I've often like, thinking that there were so many people and it was happening so fast. They just were careless and didn't, they just did their best and it was often wrong. Yeah. Like you're here. Here mm-hmm. you go. Yep. Um, well, th- so because he was born in Ireland and I have an Irish born grandparent, I was able to in the last year apply for Irish citizenship, which also felt like this kind of like reclaiming and so this nice. initiation and I had to order from, I had to order all kinds of documents, but one of the things I had to order was his Irish birth certificate from Ireland. He was born on October 2nd, 1907. And the, there's on the top of the birth certificate, there's a, um, there's a date. It's like a, it's like an official state, like processing date. And the date that they happened to process that form was October 2nd, 2020 on what would have been, I believe his 113th birthday, although I'm, I'm a therapist and I, someone should check my math, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I don't know. I was just like, what, like, what are the chances of them in Ireland happening to, they happen to process his paperwork on the day of his birth. Wow. 
Um, and that felt like just another sign, another like wink. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's giving me so much inspiration right now. And I hope we're inspiring all of our listeners about when we care for ourselves and heal these patterns in us. We literally are just healing all these people that came before and it's so inspiring Mm -hmm. and where I learned that by the way so this is my next question for you is um my meditation teacher was Deepak Chopra so I went Mm. study with Deepak multiple times and he taught me about the healing back seven generations healing forward and so I I do have to ask you in your book you, you talk about you went to interview him for your podcast and you were sitting outside of his office and you were going back and forth between, oh no, um, what am I doing here? Right? Like that idea of shrinking back, like who am I to be interviewing Deepak? And then you got into, no, I'm so badass. Look at me. I'm, and it's that whole back and forth. And I'm just so curious to know how it went down because he's such an interesting character too. We always say we understood about 30% of what he said and then the rest was like over our heads. Um, But will you tell us more about that experience? Yeah, that was such a fun, (laughs) that was such a fun and exhilarating experience really. And I was, for context, I was in my um, mid-20s and we had just started soul feed and my podcast partner like went to see Deepak speak and then met him afterwards and was like, Hey, I have this podcast. Will you come on? And he like, and he was like, sure. Like, um, <laughs> and so we kind of just got lucky, like, and then, you know, he gave us someone's email and they helped set up the, the interview and, and we were excited. Actually, this mic that I'm using, I is still from all those years ago. We, this is the mic we brought to his office wow. to interview him. We set it up on his desk. Um, uh. and yeah, and it was like, it was, it was nerve wracking because, you know, it's like, what's going to happen and, you know, is it going to be good? Are we going to ask the right questions? Like, all, all of those thoughts of, of, am I enough came up? Like, you know, is this going to be worth his time? It is, am I going to ask good questions? Like, I feel like I was just sort of establishing my interview skills. And so I was, I was like, I, I knew that we could do it. Like that performance muscle was yeah. there and was right. like, you can do this. But there was also just so much doubt, almost like, uh, a, um, immobilizing, like jittery, uh, fear. Like I'm thinking like in a somatic sense, like, I think we were like pacing around outside the office. I like, I was like sweating. Like I was probably looked like I was having some sort of like, like drug trip or something like that. (laughs) Um, and, and we walked in there and I mean, that's the thing about Deepak is he, he did, it didn't feel like he was carrying any of that anxiety. Like he was just coming out of a meeting. He was in the moment. He was, he was, al- he was like, always in the present moment. He was so present. Yeah. I was like, I, I really felt his presence. Um, and I felt his brilliance and I felt his collaborative spirit. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a hierarchy in the room. Yeah. There was a we. And he was having as much fun as we were. 
Um, I love and he was talking about how we are all God in drag. And I think we talk about in that interview, like I was like, mic drop. And he was like, what is mic drop? And and my friend was like, yeah. And my friend was like, did you teach Deepak Chopra how to mic drop? I was like, maybe. Um, That, that you need to put that on your resume. That is one of your claim to fame for sure. But yeah, it was, it was, um, the going from that place of, am I, am I worthy of this to realizing, and it really wasn't until the podcast podcast came out and a lot of listeners were like, Oh, I've heard of Deepak Chopra, but I've never read any of his books and I've never listened to any of his work. And I realized that we were introducing Deepak to some people, maybe an audience that weren't familiar with him. And it just helped me realize, and it's it's an interesting thing about celebrities uh, because I totally have pedestalized celebrities and living in New York and living in LA, I've had exposure to celebrities and I'm grateful for it. Not because I feel cooler, and feel like mm-hmm. it's stroking my ego. Although that does happen sometimes. We're human. Yeah. But I, I'm grateful for it because I really understand that these are human beings. <laughs> like, it's almost like, duh. But these are people with problems. Sometimes, like, really amplified problems. Yeah. Who get projected um, on mm-hmm. to a lot. <laughs> so we all have these stories about them. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine yeah, the weight this, of that? Oof. Yeah. 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 And it's so that, that doing soul feed and interviewing people like Deepak Chopra helped me to diffuse some of this, like putting people on this higher yeah. pedestal than me and using them to make myself smaller, not using them to like try and make myself bigger. I think a lot of people use celebrities to distance themselves from their own understanding of their potential. And that's, what's getting projected is like this, this stardom, this potential. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's powerful. It is. Can I ask, I was really struck by the work you've done around leading with your heart and teaching others to to lead with their heart and so one of our our theme song is called wild west by lissy boris who is an artist that i know you would love if you don't know her already only from listening to your your yeah. theme song but yeah. i really love it so i yeah. need to listen to more so um we'll send you her information but so i was struck by the wild west connection with you and, and the heart idea that really um for so many people it's uncharted territory they they are so in their head, they're so living up here and externally that they're not connected. So how do you work with people and, and how did you find kind of connect with your heart um, to be able to, to live in a more authentic, true way uh, for mm. yourself? Yeah, the, the, the heart is the wild, wild west. And we're so f- afraid of the wildness of the heart. I mean, I'm saying we, maybe some people don't I feel this too. way, but I'm, I'm with both you. of us have been, <laughs> have had that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And me too. I, I feel like I have been overwhelmed with emotion and emotion doesn't always, it often doesn't fit in to the societal needs, yeah, it's not convenient. The, the societal pace, yeah. like to what degree 
is the pacing of our society, the 40 the 40 hour work week that somehow became a 70 to 80 hour work week for a lot of people. Like to what degree is this inconvenient emotion just not fitting in to our patriarchal dominant capitalistic. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. A lot lives. Or intuition. It's not just emotion. It's our intuition. And that's so inconvenient too. Cause then you might have to leave your partner or quit your job or (laughs) move to Miami or whatever it is. Our systems literally don't, don't give us time for that. We we are, we are so conditioned to avoid connection with ourselves and the inner connection, the intuition, the, yeah, it's almost like, you either have to leave that world or find a way inside that world to make time for it. And that's a lonely place to be because the rest of the world carries on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the, and the thought that comes to mind for me is like also the privilege of being able to prioritize the, you know, some people don't either don't have, or don't feel that they have the, capacity to take a step back from the pace. Right. Our conversation with Shannon this week was so rich that we have split it into two episodes. So tune in next week for part two with Shannon. Today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland Coaching and Heartland Yoga. As a coach, I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals, organizations, and communities. Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity, whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.